and welcome back, everybody, to the Mixtapes Podcast. I am Pat, joined by my lovely co-host, Jen. Hello. And we are here. Last topic of the month of August, 1993 to cover. Movies, Jen. You ready? Yes. So we have been taking a trip down movie lane. A trip? A trip. I thought I said trip pretty well. You probably did. I did. I apologize. That's all right. It's probably a little reverb from inside of our wonderful, wonderful homemade studio. But we have been taking a really fun trip, a nostalgia trip, basically choosing two movies, one of which maybe both of us have seen or, you know, one of us has seen and then the other one, basically neither of us kind of, sort of, has been worked out the last couple months. We decided this month to select The Fugitive, which we've both seen many, many times. And what was the other movie, Jen? I just want to correct you. I've seen The Fugitive, I think, once before this. Okay. I've seen The Fugitive. I watch it at least once every three to four months. That's insane. And also probably a lie. The other one was The Thing Called Love. Fair. On the lie in The Fugitive, but probably at least once a year. I see it a lot. I think we just watched it recently for our movie club, didn't we? Um, no. No, we did not. Well, I feel like we did. I think you chose it, but then changed it. The Fugitive, which is based off of the television show of the same name. Really? Yeah. There was a TV show back in the day. Same name. Same premise. Same beats. Same everything. Same actors? No, no, no. Different actors. Mm. This movie bounced around a lot. There are other podcasts that have really covered this movie in depth. Um, The Ringers, uh, The Rewatchables. I'm sure other podcasts have covered it especially for its 30th anniversary. But it's really one of the best, uh, I think one of the best procedural-ish crime type, you know, drama, thriller movies, at least of the 90s, if not maybe of all time. Once you get, go for the ride and sit there and watch the whole thing, it really never stops to give you, it stops like twice to give you a chance to kind of walk away and catch your breath. But if for those that haven't seen it, which now at this point it's 30 years later, Stars Harrison Ford as Dr. Richard Kimball, a.k.a. The Fugitive, and Tommy Lee Jones. Joey Pants. Well, no, yeah, but it doesn't star Joey Pants. Yeah, but Joey Pants is in it. I'm looking at the IMDb page. Joey no, Pants. I, I know Joe Pants is in it, Joey but he's not, he's not just, you just jump right in. But Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones as uh, his foil, <laughs> the U.S. Marshal, out to, out to catch him. Jen? Give me your synopsis of your second time watching it. What did you see in this movie? Tell me what you saw out of this movie. I saw a fugitive on the run. Mm -hmm. It seemed like he was in the right place at the right time during that um, car crash, right? Bus crash, fair. I was going to say bus crash, but it sounded weird. So I said car crash, but it's really a bus crash. Um, So it felt very same, uh, right place, right timey. Okay. Um, for some reason, this movie makes me think of things that are not from this movie. Like what? Like, give me back my son. <laughs> or you can't handle the truth. Like, I feel like it, it needs like a screaming one-liner, you know? But like, I, those, it reminds me of those things. But it does have a screaming one-liner. Maybe that's why. Do you know the one-liner? It was a one-armed man who killed my wife. <laughs> No, so when they're in the when they're in the tunnel and he's getting chased and he says, Richard, you know, put down the gun, turn around, and he looks down at the dam and he's gonna jump and he just says, you know, I didn't kill my wife, and he just goes, I don't care. Right? That's the one liner. I don't care. Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. He has that awesome speech that he gives to everybody. No, the speech is cool. Doesn't he say, I know you didn't kill your wife? That's at the end of the movie. Oh. So at the, you know, when you do get to the end of the movie and then he's fighting <laughs> He's fighting, uh... I paid really close attention. You know, he's fighting He's fighting the bad doctor. Because, of course, it's all about corporate greed. Like, let's not forget what this movie is truly about, corporate greed. But when we get to the end, and when we get there, that's actually when he says that. <laughs> he says... Give me back my son! Ransom. Oh, shit. So are you just, like, shouting out movies to make sure that we cover these if they come up? Is that what that is? Give me back my son? Like, that's Ransom. You can't handle the truth! Few good men. Don't know when that comes out. That probably came out in 92, I would think, probably. I am your father. That's definitely 1983 or 1980. 
I should say Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. I'm not... It was the man with one arm <laughs> who killed my wife. Not me. There's like two parts of the movie <laughs> where the movie gives you a chance to breathe. There's a lot of parts where you think that he's just about to get caught. And I think because this this just goes at like a two hour clip. That's why this movie is inst- consistently rewatchable. It's consistently 90s, which makes it cool because the technology and things they have is from the 1990s, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of sort of how he's able to get away because the fact that he keeps going back to the same fucking hospital to investigate everything in the same hospital, they just leave every U.S. Marshal at that fucking hospital, right? He's going to the same hospital looking for a one-armed man, and they kind of knew that. Like, how how do we not catch him there? There's like three times that we, three times in this movie, if we had different technology, we catch him, right? Number one, like, I'm sure that these inmates now probably have, like, a better maybe tracking on them in general, right? Maybe some sort of tracking, I would hope, right? He's he's convicted of murder and going to death row. Very upsetting to think that you're going to go to death row for the murder... Of the person you love that you didn't do. Very upsetting premise. But also the Just mo- off the start, I'm upset. But also the most ludicrous premise ever, right? Because you're like, <laughs> yeah, I would, I, like, I he's at a fundraiser. I think at one point I do see him with some champagne in his hands. But then he does get called in to do emergency vascular surgery. So like, yo. But what, do you have a sip of champagne? I mean, come on. I'm just saying, if you're on call and you're a vascular surgeon, keep it classy. A, a sip of champagne. Keep what are we, it classy. Are we, what are we doing? So he does have that sip of champagne, which I'm not a huge fan of, uh, you know, drinking while you're on call. But Pat, it was a sip of champagne. Th- listen. It's they th- give kids champagne at weddings. Nobody it, gives a shit. It's still Han Solo. He does his thing, right? He okay. throws it's down a sip when he of sh- I mean, champagne is like... Anyway. Whether or not it's sparkling mm-hmm. grape juice or not sparkling grape juice. Maybe he was drinking water. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was absinthe. Point, <laughs> point being, he gets called into the emergency surgery, Right. So at that point, like, like that part of the movie is like, okay, so they went out of their way to say that somehow he returned like a car that he borrowed. Like, I think, what's his name? Borrowed his car. I think Dr. Lentz, I think, borrowed his car. Is that the, is that the, who's the other guy? Is it Dr. Lentz? Is that his name? You're not, you're not helping me here. I'm looking... Because I see you got it in front of you. That's why I'm asking. Who's... Dr. Charles Nichols? Nichols. Okay. So he's like... So Nichols borrows his car or he borrows... I think Nichols borrows his car. Dr. Lentz is... No, there's a Dr. Lentz. Yeah, but but Dr. Lentz is different. Dr. Lentz gets murdered too. But so Dr. Nichols, like, he's the bad guy and he borrows his car, which is how I'm assuming that the hitman is given, like, gets the keys because he borrowed his car at some point. Because, of course, on the car keys would be your house keys, I guess, so... That's how the assassin gets it. But, like, he's out doing surgery. So, I guess I guess the plan was never really to kill his wife. Maybe it was actually to kill him. Like, he was going to come back and kill him that night. He just wasn't there. I don't know. I'm you know, really... No, it's very confusing, really. A little confusing. So, like, you go to kill him, but then you just settle on killing his wife. That doesn't accomplish what you want to accomplish. Well, in 1993... I you mean, can't even... tell the difference between a man and a woman? Yeah, but even right now, you think about it and go, if somebody came in here... Looking to kill me, potentially also then you, because we're both here together, right? But I'm not here. If they kill you, it's still going to look like I killed you, right? Because who's the first person you're going for? You're going for their partner, right? That's who you think did the murder. So they do get to frame him anyway. And, like, his wife did a bang-up job, like, really bang-up job on that fucking 911 call when she was bleeding out from her internal hemorrhage. Like, just saying his name. (laughs) Like, way to go. Words from the grave. Like, that's, that's the whole case. That's the case they have. This guy's like, yo, I didn't kill my wife. It was a one-armed man that Give me my back wife. my son. Definitely never said give me back my son. There was no son here. I you saw can't no handle the truth. There was truth that they couldn't handle. because You he... had me at hello. <sighs> when you were here, you were family. And nobody could figure out why nobody would go out and get, look for the one-armed man. And that was really the thing. She's like, yo, go find that motherfucker with one arm. And nobody gave a fuck. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, yo, listen, we are the Chicago police. What you are saying is shenanigans. You are saying a one-armed man came in here and shot your wife with your own gun? Like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? Like, what are you saying right now? His wife, of course, on the 911 call, says his name. Like, he's trying to kill me, Richard. 
Like, not great. Not great. But really, I she don't... was... You don't remember that, do you? I, no, I'm just saying I don't think, you know, I, I don't think she was thinking clearly while... Oh, no, no. Will's she was definitely dying and then saw dying. him. Dying. Yeah, but I'm just saying, not great. Not not a great look. You almost you almost buried in there. But, you know, I would imagine that maybe they'd have some better tracking on that prison boss. So I'll, I'll start there. Better tracking on the prison boss. That's number one. Number two. Like, I don't understand the whole ID thing. Like, how does he know how to just, like, fucking forge IDs? Like, he's fake. He's making fake IDs so that he can get in as the janitor, slide it in and out, do his work. Why are we not doing surveillance on that entire hospital? Like, that hospital needs to have better key card surveillance. They would have found him so easy. Because he went back to that hospital to find the one-armed man. So that that's part number two. Okay. I mean, I'm glad they didn't find him because he didn't actually kill his wife. Hmm? I mean, part number mm-hmm. three, part number three, just like now, there's no way he can get like cash and get that apartment. Like he's just, he couldn't get <laughs> cash. Like, cause he remember he gets that apartment in the basement. Also side note, which really, I, the more I watch it, the harder it is to like <laughs> suspend belief, but like they raid that house and they raid that house because the son is living upstairs of the landlord. I'm assuming that they're like, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, European, like Eastern European family, right? Mm -hmm. They're like Russian or, you know, something along those lines. But the son is apparently a pedophile or allegedly a pedophile or something along those lines. So he's like, yo, that guy you're looking for lives in the basement. So they raid the place and get the son. Don't don't go in and check the basement. Why would we check the basement at that point? Right? Like, I'm thinking if you're raiding for someone, aren't you looking for, like, all the things? Like, you already think you got all... Like, what if he has a fucking dungeon in the basement, right? So we don't even check the basement where Richard Kimball is. But then they go back, and then they're like, all right, well, we know this guy was here. Like, where does he go from there? I don't think we ever see him go anywhere again. He's just always on the run at that point. But always clean-shaven? I don't understand. A lot going on there. A lot to unpack. Maybe he has a razor in his pocket. It's true. It's true. And Listen, then, I'm not going to lie. I also think it's a lot going on. And finally... <laughs> I don't disagree. And finally, when he breaks into the one-armed man's house and makes the phone call, like, from the one-armed man's house, like, I feel like at that point, we just need to be better as a society and be like, okay, this man is breaking into one-armed men, men's homes. Clearly, uh, I don't... He's really good with that one arm, though. He really... He does a lot. With the one hand. How do you lose one arm in the line of duty? I guess it gets, like, caught in a door. I don't... Mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't like thinking about losing limbs. Rough look. But that one arm man was a real cuck. Like, he really, really <laughs> cucked it up. He's a murderer, I mean. He, yeah, he was the murder friar. He killed, like, Dr. Lentz. He killed him. He's fucking out of here killing everybody. Corporate greed. So, do you... You do know why they tried to kill Richard Kimball, right? I know that Richard Kimball went <laughs> to the conference of doctors mm-hmm. and he exposed the reason that they tried to kill him. And what was that? I remember it being a very powerful scene. Mm. It has something to do with money and them trying to make monies and him trying to be right. I don't remember. Be- I don't remember. As a kid... I'm like you right now answering this question where I just didn't understand. Like the one part, like the mm. whole part of the movie of Harrison Ford running, I understood. You have to, you have to but back I, up. Yeah. It's not that I don't understand. It's that I was half invested. Okay. Okay. Is that fair? Fair. but I'm then, not as stupid. I'm just an aloof. I, I don't think you're stupid. Okay. I just, I don't think you were paying enough attention. And so what I meant when I was saying was that when I was a kid, it was that it just went over my head. It was just something that just went over my head. Like, I didn't understand the ins and outs of what was going on because I kind of wasn't paying enough attention. But also, it wasn't something that I really was tracking. So the long and the short of it is a pharmaceutical company is trying like a drug. And Dr. Nichols is on the board of that company. But the drug doesn't work. No, some sort of like vascular drug for like, so instead of having open heart surgery... This will, like, help get rid of whatever in mm. your arteries. But the, Oh, so like Viagra. Kind of like Viagra. A <laughs> little bit like Ozempic, but more like probably like, a, you know, like a cholesterol drug or something. Lipitor. Yeah. So like Lipitor. I got one. But what it was doing 
was that it was, I guess, giving you, like, massive hemorrhages or mm -hmm. massive, like, leaks or blowouts in your arteries. Ooh, fun. So Richard Kimball, vascular surgeon, is seeing all these patients that are coming in on this drug, on this drug trial, that are having these massive heart problems, which means the drug doesn't work. But, of course, what's going on, or it's, like, screwing up people's livers or something like that, but what's going on is that Dr. Nichols is like, yo, I ain't gonna make that money we get exposed so he's just lying and switching the samples to healthy liver samples to say that the drug works so he gets paid yeah i didn't so then he's got to kill all the people that know that the drug doesn't work so when the drug does get approved you which know he, you know what he should have just done and it would have been like a lot less obviously murdery just slip the drug into their coffees in the morning and then it eventually they'll have leaky heart blowouts and they'll die that's one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Or the other way to look at it is to go like, okay, so if this drug doesn't work, what's going to happen when it becomes like mass produced and doesn't work? <laughs> this is always the thing I thought of. It's like, all right, so we're just going to push this through and then what happens when it doesn't work? You're going to get even more trouble than just being like these people voluntarily tried. But again, movies. So this is definitely one of those movies that screams uh, should never be a Netflix series, in my opinion. Because I feel like the two hours made all the things happen so fast, be so ludicrous, but also like, well, I guess move along in a way that you're like, because it's like when he jumps out, when he jumps out of the tunnel into the dam like he's definitely dead like he definitely is dead like real people are definitely dead right but okay like sake of argument fine he makes it down the river then you immediately see him like sleeping in the leaves right and then how he has like the fever dream or whatever of his wife okay sleeping in the leaves also side note like it's march in chicago like it's gotta be fun he's he's dead from hypothermia too he's gotta be cold at yeah. least he, he didn't make a fire he's fucking dead too so he's dead from the fall, dead from the leaves. Fine. Dead from the bus. No way he jumped off the bus to miss the train. So he's dead from that. Uh, he's probably dead because he gets hit by the other train when he goes around it in the fucking ambulance. He doesn't really know how to drive an ambulance. So there he's dead too when he's speeding in the ambulance. So he's died like those five times. I feel like he could handle the ambulance. You gotta give him Fine. at least one. Alright, so he's died four times already. Okay. But the idea is like, I'm like, alright. Oh, oh, what am I saying? From the bus, he he sutures himself up, so he's got stitches in his side. Got that staph he's, infection. He's, a he's got a staph he's infection. He's a surgeon. He's actually a surgeon. I get it, but he's a staph infection waiting to happen. <laughs> like, you can't roll around in the leaves like that. That is how you get, like, that. The only other thing he could have done to make it worse was just try to treat it with leeches. Like, it was ridiculous. Like, what oh, are we doing? No. What are we doing? So he's died five times now, because he's also got that cut in his side. So having said that, He's on his sixth life at this point. Like, if this is a Netflix show, we end with him jumping off, off of the thing. Then we pick up, like, three, four days later. It's like, I don't need that. Just keep this fucking thing moving. Because it's ridiculous. Like, I still don't know how he gets enough money to rent this apartment. from. The how does he find the fucking apartment, too? That always nagged at me. All of a sudden, like, all right, it's cool. You know what, dude? You made it. Well, see, this you slept is how... in the leaves, and now you got the apartment. This is how it could be a Netflix show. Because you could... Give a little bit more of those details. Him finding a um, apartment available flyer on a pole or on a billboard at like a coffee shop or something, and calling. You could see those things happening, and him kind of like hiding out, and you know Tommy Lee Jones doing Tommy Lee Jones like things. With that being said, I don't need this to be a Netflix series. I don't I don't need that personally. No. But I could see it working, you know. I think with kind of almost like a twenty four type thing where it's like real time. It's funny because I do feel like the next movie can be a Netflix movie. Side note, not gonna watch it, but and it's also probably already been a TV show seventeen times. And this was a TV show. I think this is just better as a movie because I just feel like Have you ever seen the TV show? Of the Fugitive? Yeah. No, and I wouldn't. Well, neither would I, but I'm just saying, how can you say one's better if you have Because seen I it? think the idea of, of, like, each one of these events, like, okay. Listen, I'm not, it's too much. Back up. It's this all is, too much for okay. me. I know that you love this movie. Back up. I do love this movie. I still, I'll stand for this movie every day. 
But but back up. Even if this is a Netflix show, right? So like the first season ends with like him getting away from the train, and then the next season picks up with like because you could just make like you could make like a whole you could make because you'd have to do a whole thing where you're setting up these doctors that he knows. He's a surgeon. His wife because because you, you just want to milk this as long as you can. So you set that whole thing up. Then you set up like. The actual, like, prison break part. Then there's an entire thing of, like, him on the run and introducing Tommy Lee Jones in season two. Because they drag it out to make money. They're going to drag it out. That's why I'm like, there's no, just, like, this was good because it was over. It was over before you can just realize and be like, yo, man, it's fucking trash. Having said that, it's great. I love it. I do. I know you do. I do. I give it five out of five if there's five stars. I give it whatever. Tommy Lee Jones wins an Oscar. It's fucking dope. Great movie. I, Yes. Now. I don't disagree. Did you know? What were we going to say? No, did I know what? Did you know? The Harrison Ford mm-hmm. really hurt his leg. He tore some ligaments. And refused to get surgery till after the filming, so that limp is real. Yo, Harrison Ford, like, also broke his leg on the Millennium Falcon in, like, Star Wars Force Awakens. Like, he's always hurting himself. He probably hurt himself on any of Jones. Like, he's fucking, he's out, he's out of his mind. Did you know? Okay. A Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. When Harrison Ford says, I didn't kill my wife, and he says, I don't care. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to say, that's not my problem, but he wanted to say, I don't care. Yeah. That's why you want to ask her. A lot of it is ad-libbed. I the, told you that, too. The yeah. parade scene is actually the St. Patrick's Day parade, and they got permission to film, so that was like a one, one time. One shot. Yeah. Like one take of them just fucking around in the parade. One shot. Some yeah, so actually some pretty cool little factoids. Like that line, it's like the perfect like following iconic movie lines. It's like when Han Solo says to Princess Leia when she says "I love you" and he goes "I know," because he was supposed to say "I think I love you too." That's what he's supposed to say. And, oh, and, he and Harrison to say Ford's I like he would never say that. Mm-mm. Like he just wouldn't say that. So then he said he would say i know and that's what he said is i know so he ad-libbed that i like that yeah and if you watch the scene it's like one of those gaffes that i've talked about before in movies if you watch the scene he's also like wearing like in one shot he's got a vest on and then the next shot he doesn't and one shot and one shot because he because he changed the line because he's like the line doesn't work it's not what he would say just like that's Um, not what tommy lee jones would say because the fact that he says, I don't care, is, like, so perfect. Because that is what a you Like, th- his whole job is just to find this guy. He doesn't give a fuck what happened. That's not his job. His job is to catch the guy that's on the run. I mean, I don't care, and that's not my problem, is basically the same thing. But I don't care definitely is more... No. Definitely is more powerful thing to say. But they both have the same, like... You think that I don't care... No, I'm just saying it's both... The- Isn't more gangster? It's way no, more I do gangster. think it's more gangster. It's way I'm, more gangster. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying they're basically saying the same thing. But that's not my problem is too, like, sympathetic. Mm. And too, no. it's too many it's words. It's more flipping. That's the thing. It's, it's too, too many, many words. words. Yeah. It's like too many words. Who's, it's not a Shakespearean fucking play. That's not my problem. Like, okay, well, so what is your problem? Like, I don't care. It's just directly to the point. <sighs> I really enjoyed this movie. That's it. Five out of five. I'm glad we got to watch it. Now, on the flip side, you sat here and you tried to explain to me a movie called what? The Thing Called Love. And can you tell our listeners what exactly you thought this movie was about? Well, so, okay. Okay, I thought this movie... Now, you have to understand. I don't understand. I know nothing about this movie. There. Never seen it. Didn't watch the trailer. Didn't read any things. Just saw, like, you know, the picture that comes up on Google when you Google the thing called love. Okay. Okay, so I guess that this was about a young man, River Phoenix, um... And I guess that he was just living his life as a young derelict and like a coming of age type thing. And he was in a love triangle with Samantha Mathis and Sandra Bullock. Okay. And uh, I assume that Samantha Mathis was like 
the fun bad girl and that Sandra Bullock was like the good girl. I did say Sandra Bullock had a cat. Okay. And um, he had to choose between those two lives. And I was not correct. At all. I was right about that it was about young people. Okay, that's fair. But you did, you're playing with a little bit of dynamite. I was right you about. you knew that River Phoenix was young. You knew Sandra Bullock was young. I also knew that Sandra Bullock was young. Okay. I was right that there was a love triangle. Yep, wrong. Wrong wrong sex. Well. Wrong main character and wrong sex. There's one piece of the triangle that was not right, and that piece was Sandra Bullock. And we'd have to take Sandra. Well, it's, it's a different movie. You had the movie starring River Phoenix. You did yeah, not no, have... Yeah, no, the movie is, is... I had the movie as River Phoenix being the protagonist, and it's not. It's Samantha Mathis. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dermot Maloney. Mm-hmm. Is that... Mulroney? Mulroney. Yeah, Dermot Mulroney. Is the other person in the love triangle, not Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and there's, like, a whole lot about this movie that I got wrong, be- or that I just left out. Because it's really about Samantha Mathis's character, Miranda, um, going to Nashville from New York and trying to make it as a country star. Uh-huh. And meeting James, who is River Phoenix, and Kyle, who's Dermot, and Linda Lou Linden, who's Sandra Bullock, and becoming friends with these people, and falling in love with James, and um, just really trying to be a country star. So, I got that completely wrong. Although, Linda Lou Linden did have a dog. Not a cat. And the dog's name. Remember the dog's name? I do not. It's Mr. Dog. So, I feel like that's right. I feel like saying that she had a cat was pretty on point. This movie had a budget of $14 million. It made $1 million. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I chose this movie because I kind of... It's... It's not River Phoenix's last movie, but it's the last movie that came out while he was still alive. Um, and I didn't know that him and Samantha Mathis were actually together during this, the filming of this movie and when he died. So that was his girlfriend in real life. Um, this is straight up what Roger Ebert said at the time of this movie. He gave it one out of four stars. Oh boy. Perhaps no one could have saved Phoenix who was not lucky enough to find a higher bottom than death. Well, no. But this performance in this movie should have been should have been seen by someone as a cry for help. Wow. Like my joke. <laughs> the That's fucked up. Yeah. It's it's tough. It's tough. The director felt the death of Phoenix affected watching the movie. It was a totally different movie before. It had a hopeful quality, and now it doesn't. The ending is ambiguous because River died. It becomes very sad. The last thing you're left with is that he is dead, even though the character's alive. The movie was supposed to be bittersweet, but it turned out being more bitter than sweet. I don't really know too much of River Phoenix's acting career before that. Um, Obviously, he was one of... I think this was like the first like kind of celebrity passing that I remember that like because when someone is so young, it really does stick. It like sticks, sticks with you. Yeah. Where you're like, I remember that because like the world was really not expecting that and really sad. Yeah. So, I mean, he was only 23 when he died. Mm-hmm. So I don't know like the other acting experiences he had to really rate this versus that. Like I thought he seemed fine. Right. He seemed like chipper. He was, like, chipper? I don't know if I would call his character chipper. I thought he was, like, a little bit brooding, intense. Brooding, I guess. Yeah, but, like, but not intense. really. But, like, he, but he didn't seem like, he didn't, He wasn't, like, breaking things. He wasn't, like, angry. It was very, like, like light. It wasn't, like, I don't know. I, I didn't get, like, he was a little angsty, but I don't know if it was just because it was country or it was just whatever. He was like, a little angsty. He like, was a little bit. 
completely out of context is one of those things 30 years later you watch it and you're like okay I could see there was like a movie here and like some thoughts here this was definitely a movie I feel like watching it now if you transplanted it and made it rock music I would have liked it more but mostly because I don't like country but that mm-hmm. has nothing to do with you know the movie they set out to make then I right agree and I think if it was about rock music even if the movie had the same like the same ending, the same story, everything, but instead of all the things they were doing, it was based around rock or alternative, like based in Seattle or based in New York City or Chicago or a different city, nothing against Nashville. I think you and I would have liked it better. But I also feel like Nashville wasn't really like a character in it. Like, I feel like they wanted to, but I just, for some reason, I couldn't connect with the city. Like, one... Yes, because I feel like we were on... And it's probably more realistic to what would have happened if you were Miranda going from New York to Nashville. I'm sorry, I know I cut you off. No, that's okay. But I feel like it's probably more realistic that you're really staying on a motel on the side of, like, you know, kind of like a shitty road with all strip malls. I I think that's probably the more realistic thing that would happen, but it did take away Nashville as a character. I felt right. like I was just watching someone in the suburbs of like a shitty city, like at the shitty suburbs of some city. It didn't matter what that city was. I don't even know anything about what Nashville looks like. I just saw a main road, a motel, and the the diner she went to and the bar where she would try out, you know, her music and like was a bartender or a waitress or whatever. You don't really see anything else of Nashville. I agree with you. It doesn't... It feels like a place because nobody was from... I don't remember if James was from there or not. But no, everyone no, else was coming from... was from there. Which is maybe James part of Nashville. James from Connecticut, I think, if I think correct. Somebody was no, from Connecticut. No, uh, Dermot, Dermot Mulroney. Yeah, he was from Connecticut. Um, And maybe that's the kind of city it is because people do go there to try and make it as a country star, right? Like, we live in a city that has a lot of people from other places, so... I get that. But when but... we watched, like, like I'm going to take, I'm going to take a little bit different, but like when we watched, okay, Sleepless in Seattle and also Singles, like I feel like they, they made the city be a part and the a feeling of the vibe of the place. The, it was a character. The closest yeah. they did was like go on top of the hospital and yell like, I'm here to stay in Nashville. Like it really wasn't. I didn't get the feeling of like... Yeah, and that scene I felt like was really kind of cheesy. Very cheesy. So I had a little, a little hard time with that very scene. Very cheesy. I feel like a lot of it was... was a li- And again, you know... The- I really wanted to like this movie because I did. And I picked it. And I wanted to like it for River. But it was just... I feel like it really fell flat, you know? I'm reminded of one of Chris Farley's last movies, like Wagons East. Ever seen that movie? No. Oh, it's like tough. So I guess that's probably what it was for people that like saw this where you're like, I do. He made these other movies. These other movies were great. Like what really is I'd like to see more of it. I'd like to see like my own private Idaho. I've never seen that. That was one of his movies. I mean, I, I, I know him best probably. Isn't he in What's Eating Gilbert Grape? I, that's Leonardo DiCaprio and Johnny Depp. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't, I think, um, he was in Stand By Me. Okay. That's probably what I know him best from. But yeah, I think that's Leonardo DiCaprio that you're thinking of. Definitely is. Yeah. But you know, it's funny you say that because I thought the same thing. I'm like, wasn't he in What's Eating Gil- Gilbert Grape? But I think it's because there's kind of a quality that he and young, specifically young Johnny Depp had, were like, you know, cause I think you even said that. You're like, he almost has like something Johnny Depp-like about him. Um yeah. Yeah. You don't see that. See what I remember. Even if you from. look at even if you look at the what's eating Gilbert Grape, thing in that picture of Johnny Depp, like they have like the same like, there's something similar. I don't know. See what I remembered him from was Indiana Jones, on the Last Crusade. Oh okay. Because he was young Indiana Jones, so he's in it for like maybe five ten minutes. Hold up. When does what's eating Gilbert Grape come out? What month? Oh, shit. That comes out in 1993, too. Well, I guess we're going to watch guess that. guess we're going to watch... Have you ever seen that? No. It's sad. But I really want to see it again. Um. Yeah. Yeah. 
So normally when we break these movies down... I feel like we haven't really broke them down where we actually talked about what happened. We well, just are kind I feel of like... Re- okay, okay, so then go back to the top. So in the movie The Fugitive, Richard Kimball... Well, you don't have to... That I think we got. I think we got Richard that Kimball, straight. We Richard Kimball to... believes that... Uh, Richard Kimball is innocent because a one-armed man killed his wife. He goes out on a quest as soon as he inadvertently gets prison broke to find the one-armed man. He finds the one-armed man takes down a corporate conspiracy at the same time and clears his name all in the course of two hours. That's the fugitive. In this movie, basically, Miranda comes into town, swoops into town. She stays staying at a motel. First, she gets the, uh, you know, the honeymoon suite with the, uh, the disco ball and all the bullshit. And then she decides she's going to stay with her friend, Sandra Bullock. Bunks with her. Bunks with the dog. Mr. Dog? They just keep going to the same bar slash whatever bar i think probably a restaurant whatever but also like lounge club thing to get the ability to play that weekend they go for like open auditions whatever day let's say thursday they go for open auditions and the woman that owns the bar decides who's going to play that saturday night and that's i would say a third of the movie is them consistently trying to sing songs and get (laughs) in because that's how you're knowing the passage of time, right? Because every time they go back up there, you know it must have been at least a week because they're holding tryouts for the next show. Mm-hmm. River Phoenix's character has already made it, but he's got some sort of shady deal going on. So the shady deal that he has going on, like he's trying to get out of the record contract because it's not giving him enough flexibility and freedom, but he did kind of make it. So he's still playing this same, you know, place. Well, this place is clearly like one of those places where people go... Sure. And then they make it there. You know what I mean? That's where they well, start out. Go, well, it's probably one of those places that like... You can say like the Comedy Cellar or something. Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Where I was going to be like where, you know, you're probably... You're going to get seen by by industry type people. Mm-hmm. I think is the whole point. There's one scene where they decide... Dermot Mulroney and Miranda decide that they're going to break into like Trisha Yearwood's car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what put is... a demo tape in Chris, in Trisha Yearwood's car. I forgot about this scene. They get arrested, <laughs> but she does refuses to press charges because she likes the demo tape. Like, that's just not I real. And then the really cops are also think... giving demo tapes. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of, like... <laughs> like, everybody in the town is a singer and songwriter. Even the cops? Like, what are we Even doing? Even the cab drivers and the cops? What are we doing? But I think Trisha Yearwood did not let them go because she liked the demo tape. I think she, since she is obviously in this industry, understands that it's hard to break into and had compassion for them because they were trying to get them her to hear their stuff. It, they weren't being malicious. And I think that she sees them as like, okay, you fucking dumbasses. But I actually gave it a listen because I know that you were trying to get this thing heard. And I think it was more that than like her just liking them liking their music um this was the least successful movie of 1993 yeah i think this movie (laughs) i think this movie had you know wild vibes of like uh how do we market this type thing i think it's like the opposite of um like christopher nolan's the dark knight where you're like because i remember that's the closest thing i could come up with in my mind when I was watching this of a movie where you know that someone like dies like this is the last performance of that person yeah so you kind of feel like you're right you kind of feel awkward because you're like I, whatever I'm going to see however this actor went about portraying this guy and both actors Heath Ledger and you know River Phoenix you know died of, of drug you know a drug overdose so mm-hmm. both of it untimely you know untimely deaths you know and not that like for example chadwick boseman who also died like i didn't we didn't see i didn't see his last movie but like he passed from cancer but he knew he was gonna die and i think part of what he was saying was that he was trying to take as many roles and do as many things as he could because he wanted to you know embody all these different roles and characters and stuff and and leave a mark right still so insanely tragic absolutely but But the difference is at least he knew like or or had an idea well he had an idea knowing makes it better well he had an idea because like these two again where it's like well here's this movie and it's like there's no real like control 
Because, like, especially with The Dark Knight, like, that movie was just coming out. It had to come out. It was going to come out. And that movie just was unbelievable. And you're like, this is insane. Right? You still turn on and just think to yourself. Like, I can't... After that movie, I still can't get over, like, the idea of Batman and being like, there is no other Joker. This is just so, un like, surreal how yeah. wild he embodied that. And then you take, like, this movie and, and you're just like, wow. So this was his last movie. So however they tried to... Um, you know, write the movie trailer for the movie and do the thing, especially with his real life partner at the time. Like, it's just sad, mm. right? Because you're like, how do you try to market this? As she like was a there when he died. Hopeful thing. Too. Yeah, like, how so do you. So, like, this no, it's just also sad. Um, how do you how do you market this? It's tough. You know, you just said something, though, that made me think about Keith Ledger and how Joaquin Phoenix was the Joker after Heath Ledger, right? He was the next person to portray the no, Joker. Oh, the was next it Jared one Leto? Was Jared Leto. Okay, well, I haven't seen those movies. But I wonder almost if Joaquin Phoenix felt, like, compelled to take that role because Heath Ledger did die in a similar way as his brother. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I mean, wonder if it, there's any kind of tie between that. Um, I'm sure if, if there was, I'm sure someone else has asked him that or something along those lines. I think it was more about... That movie I know you haven't seen, and I've told you not to not to see it because I just don't think it's a movie that you would like. Uh, it's really a, it's a tough. I think that movie's a tough watch. I know a lot of people. I can see whatever I want to see. You can't tell me what to do. Hundred percent. But I know. No, I know. I know. I know a lot can. of people that have seen it that are just like you know they've heard like reviewers and different people that just didn't like it. They're like this is just. And then like when I saw it, I was deeply deeply affected by it, and I was like, man, this just like a tough movie to watch because it's just it's trying to make you feel for the joker in that movie and his character arthur fleck it's trying to make you feel for him mm -hmm. but it is so cringy that like for me it's too real like i don't want to see that person with their tremendous mental illness be treated this terrible by society i know society does it like i get i get all of it mm -hmm. but i don't want to see it yeah. I definitely don't want to spend two hours in that madness and in that world at all. And when the world, like, that, you're watching a world made of sand, and then when you, re like, a house made of sand, and when you start to see it, like, crumble around you, you're like, oh, my God, this is so incredibly, like, what have I been watching? Like, this is tough, tough, tough to see. Yeah, tough. I don't know. The last couple of years, I just haven't felt like watching anything. That would make me feel any sort of bad, you know, like it's, any sort of distressed or sad. Well, sad I'm okay with. Distressed or scared or stressed out or anxious. Like, I just don't that like movie, feeling that way anymore. That movie is a mindfuck in a way that you're just like, I don't know why I did this. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, that movie reminds me of like, I'm going to go drink six beers and get behind the wheel of my car and crash it into a pole just to see what the what happens if I get a Dewey. Like, that's what it is. Where you're like, I don't know why I decided to do this. I don't know what compelled me to do any of this. But here I am now being arrested. Like, why did I do this? Because it's just a fucking train wreck. It's amazingly acted. It, it, it's a story that's being told. But it's just tough as shit to watch. So that, that's why I told you. I'm like, you don't, you don't want to see it. It's, it's hard. It's hard. So I'm going to give myself um, a 2.5. No, you get... Uh, no, I get a 2.5. To come back in this movie, you get a 1.5. I got a love triangle. I got a dog that really... I got a cat, no. but it was a dog, you got a but love it triangle. I got a pet. You got, got a love triangle, which is worth one point. You got a love triangle, which is worth one point. The other 0. 0.5 that you got is that River Phoenix was involved in a love triangle with... The dog counts. With Miranda. That's the what you got. The dog has to count. The dog counts for nothing. It counts for 0.5, so that's two. Okay. When you... Let me ask you this. And I need you to answer this within four seconds. If you don't answer within four seconds... Okay. Then I just I just assume the answer is already whatever. Is, is already my answer. Name... <laughs> is it reasonable to think that someone would leave town and live in a motel with a cat? It's not reasonable to think... Stop. You're already trying to think about it. 
The answer is no. I You leave town, you would bring your dog. You're not leaving town with a cat. If you're the kind of person... But if the cat's your friend. If you're the kind of person that has a cat, you've planned ahead <sighs> and you have an apartment. But I didn't know that they were living in a motel. Okay? <laughs> Doesn't matter. So... The fact that she has an animal is not relevant. You get no points for that. You get no credit. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You get no credit. Okay, so I do have to admit something. Okay. And I'm going to give this movie a prop. Okay. Or something. Okay. I'm not a big Sandra Bullock fan. And I know that is wildly unpopular. Like, I know everyone loves her. And I don't dislike her. I don't think that's wildly unpopular, but... I'm not anti-Sandra Bullock, but I've never sought out a movie because she's in it. And some movies that she's in, I'll be like, eh, she doesn't really... I just don't care. Like, I'm not a big Sandra Bullock person. I really, really liked her in this movie. I found her character to be... I mean absolutely goofy and like silly character but she just was like a breath of fresh air to me i found her to be likable and how annoying she was like i just really liked her in this movie and i wonder if i've seen this movie back when it came out if i would feel differently about it you know what i mean if i would have liked her more you know not that i dislike her i just was always kind of indifferent but i liked her a lot in this movie so i don't know that's all i wanted to say I mean, I think it's fair. I don't I don't think it's not fair to say that. I think the big I think the big thing about Sandra Bullock and when she really pops off is going to be in speed, which I think is also I think it's ninety four. Yeah, and she's good in that movie too, but she's a completely different character. Like in this movie, I mean she walks in to the diner that Miranda's writing at in feedy pajamas. She basically makes her be her best friend. She has a dog named Mr. Dog. She is just silly and goofy and like I don't know. I just I just loved her character. And I'm sure a lot of people would have hated her character for all the reasons I loved her. But anyway, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I get it. This, I this thought just... it probably one of the best parts of the movie. Right. I mean, this. I was going to say this just wasn't a great movie. So, I mean, I feel like you're, you're overthinking here. I thought Sandra Bullock was good in the movie. But, I mean, I think the other movies that she's in, you know, are, are different. And, and she becomes America's Sweetheart for different reasons than let's say a movie like this but this was a movie it happened it happened i have to say uh, when they all sang i i couldn't see any of them being successful but that was just me i i think that they made it obvious that river would have been the one that made it. Like, his song seemed the best, the, the most thought out. But apparently they all really did sing. Yeah, that's Sandra fair. Bullock wrote a song for, like, they were all involved in that. Um, no, no, it's fair. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not putting anyone down. But I'm I would say like... he's the only one that really seemed like he could have been any kind of, like, I was going to say rock star. But he does seem like he could have been a rock star. You know, like, mm-hmm. the rest of them, I don't really think, you know, had that thing. Apparently, though, uh, Dermot Mulroney? Yeah, I was going to say Dylan McDermott. Um, he's actually a professional celloist. So he was oh, really playing... Yeah, he was like really playing the cello. He's like actually a professional cello player. Um, yeah. Again, if it was about rock music... And I feel like we've seen a few country music movies lately where I'm just like, ugh. And I know there's people that love country music. It's nothing against country music. We forgot to talk about Garth Brooks actually on the music episode because he had an album come out. And it was a pretty big deal, but I forget what it was called, so maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. Now I'm just going on a rampage. I know, you're on a a Garth Brooks rampage. But I would say, in my opinion, uh, this movie, 30 years later, I'm going to give it a... I'm just going to go out of five stars, and I'm going to keep it in three quarters. So I'm going to say a one and three quarters. 1.75 out of five. I'll give it a two. It's fair. Yeah. We watched it. I wasn't offended... It was one of those movies where, like, I kept thinking something really bad was going to happen, so I was glad that it wasn't. Yeah. Because, you know, 90s movies have... They do have a tendency to do weird shit in them, where they drop really weird things. They do. And you're like, oh, wow, you just killed that person. They kind of don't let stuff breathe, like, even how they got... You don't have room. You don't really have room to do it. You're doing quick movies. I mean, this definitely would have been better as a... Netflix show, like a remake yes. Netflix show, and have it be about that motel, and have yes. it be about the other characters there. But you're almost getting, like I said, kind of like singles, where you're getting that, 
vibe then if you're doing this in like a motel almost kind of like a like there. a nashville Shits creek uh-huh. yes something that like actually that. really could have been good i mean but even as how like they kind of got married which i get young people are crazy but like then immediately their marriage went sour like it all just happened so fast well of course their marriage would go sour because they literally have not spent any time actually being adults let alone adults with each other no, I understand, but I, I, it's just, sometimes I complain about how long movies are now, and I get it, because when you watch a movie like this, which I don't even know how long it is, um... Let's say, let's just give it two hours. Say it's two hours. Say it's two hours. I think it's a little bit shy of, it's hour 56 minutes. Um, things like that happen, and I feel like, ah, it's just coming at me. It doesn't have time to... To breathe or... I don't know. Netflix series. Um, I think this would have been better. You could have made Nashville more of, of the town. You could have spotlighted yes. more of what, the how, yes. comings and goings. Every week, like, it would have been funny to have Sandra Bullock's character, at least, especially in the first season, every week trying out and not being able to be successful. So, like, every week she's got another bad song that she's singing in order to try to get on stage because I don't think she ever made it on stage. So to get her no. to try to do that over and over again. You know, because she's she's clearly, she would be more of the comic relief, mm-hmm. right? So that part you can get going, her and her man. Then you have Miranda, who's, you know, slowly getting better and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she's, it's a good show. There's the bones, I think, of a good TV show here. Um, but they've also, I've probably done this TV show too, you know, many times. So and like tough. the thing about Netflix how her show. dad died in the ER, they could have made that less like boom in your face my dad died in the er and more like oh she's uncomfortable in the er and she has to go outside but then you see in the next episode she's getting like a weird flashback of her dad you know what i mean and then kind of make it a thing i will say i do like that part about 90s movies though when a 90s movie is a good movie because it's like boom like for example you take a movie like gremlins and you're like i love gremlins and then randomly she tells the story about how her dad went down the chimney as santa claus and died (laughs) Just why she hates Christmas, and then you just throw it Absolutely away. Absolutely, because you're like it's a ninety movie. Anything. It's a nineties movie. It's a nineties movie. We're gonna give you this. It's like it's like they're doing acting workshops. They're like, here's the scene, and I want you to emote in this scene, and then we just do not come back to that scene at all, right? I don't like the ER because my dad died in the ER. Okay, like that's a nineties movie. Like just nineties movie. We just created five minutes for this person to act, and then that's it. 90s movie. I don't like Christmas because my dad went down the chimney and got caught and died. Like, 90s movie. <laughs> 90s movie, right? Like you said, Netflix, they splashed that whole... That's that's a, that's a 75-minute plot where she also has, like, a Hello... Not Hello. Um, Hello, Fred. No, better, better Help. She has a Better Help therapist oh. <laughs> that she's talking to in the motel about how she just was stuck in the thing. And the Better Help therapist is just going back and forth via Zoom with her because she can't afford to go to a real therapist, so she's doing better help and oh. just getting a rotating Listen, bunch of therapists. Better help is real therapy. No, 100%. not sponsored, but we would would. I don't mean it like that. Be, I don't mean it like that. Like, <laughs> like, she, like like she's only she can only afford it like once every little while when she's putting her tips together, you know. And she doesn't know anyone in Nashville, so she's just just zooming in the therapy session to be like, oh my god, I need emergency therapy. Like I just totally see that. Versus the 90s movie where they're just like, this happened. Like, oh, hey, listen, I, I got to get out of here. Flashbacks of my dad's death. Like, okay. All right. That was wildly quick. We just we just established that you're that We established now a future plot point. Your dad died. You're here to be successful because you and your dad share a love of Elvis. Got it. Like, we've just, that's the whole, that's your whole character arc. You're here to honor, honor your dead dad that raised you. That's your whole character arc right there. Yes. 1.75. Two stars. What'd you give The Fugitive? Five. Okay. Because I just, I can't, it's perfect. It's like Jurassic Park, like all these other movies from the 90s that are perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect because it's 90s. Like this movie is so 90s too, but like some of the stuff is just silly that I'm like, you make the movie now, like people do the same things. You're not really missing much. Wait a minute. Before we do our Trivial Pursuit. Trivial. Next month, there are two movies. Okay. They, and we have decided we are going to watch True Romance, which you've never seen, and A Bronx Tale, which I've never seen. Yeah. 
So I'm going to ask you again, put you on the spot. What is true romance about? Oh, I thought it was your turn. Are we doing me? Okay. Um. Well, I at least know that a Bronx tale is a coming-of-age tale based on a stage play written by Chaz Palminteri. I know that there is... I don't even know that. Um, I know that there is a romance that is true. It is between Christian Slater mm-hmm. and another blonde girl with a bob who's... Patricia Arquette. That's it. But she's blonde with a bob in this. Um, and they're on the run because they're criminals... Uh, Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. uh, Brad Pitt. Okay. Guns and leather jackets. Okay. Guns, leather jackets. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I got. Guns, leather jackets, they're on the run because it's a true romance. Mm-hmm. Give me a Bronx tale. A Bronx tale. Starring Charles Palminteri. A coming-of-age tale about an Italian-American immigrant in the Bronx. I would assume in the 1950s. It was also a stage play. If I had to... I've not seen it, but I'm going to assume that we're going to have the Sharks and the Jets fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. like, kind of like West Side Story. Yep. Got it. I got the... I got... Um... Also, there might be at some point someone yelling Stella. Okay. Uh, And it ends, I would imagine it ends with someone being fed to Audrey too. I think that I am closer than you. Um, no, I think I actually, I think having seen True Romance and you saying the words that you said, Brad Pitt. Mm Mm-hmm. Christopher Walken. Mm Mm-hmm. It is a romance that is true. Mm-hmm. Leather jackets. Yeah. On the run. Guns. Guns. Right? I think I'm a lot closer by just saying Chaz Palminteri wrote a screenplay about coming of age in the Bronx <laughs> as an Italian-American. That is closer, I think, than what you said. What do you know about car no doors? Plot. What do you know about car doors? You've given me no plot, though, is the thing. Mm. There's a car door mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. Bronx Tale. Okay. What do you know about it? Nothing. Okay. I know something you don't know. I've seen True Romance. I've seen a Bronx Tale, and that's the only thing I remember. Is that there is, is that a, scene? There is an unbelievably hasn't aged well, but also ridiculously written Tarantino scene between Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. That is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's like when you see it, you can't unsee it, and you're gonna be like. What the fuck did I just say? Wild. Can't even say. Can't even say it. Without getting canceled. Is it going to freak me out? When we watch the movie and you're going to be like, oh, wow. It's like, it's a heavy scene. But it's not, it's like, you know, it's Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino wrote it. Oh, I It's his first screenplay. So he wrote it and it was directed by, um, I think, Tony Scott or somebody. I think it was Tony Scott. But it was. Let's do this trivia. Okay. Trivia. And we're going to get out of here. What sport that combines surfing, skateboarding, and skiing was a part of the Winter Games for the first time in Nagano in 1998? Surfing, skateboarding, and skiing? Mm-hmm. One sport? Nagano, which is in where? Japan? Oh, is it snowboarding? Snowboarding. Okay. I'm trying to think of, like, a triathlon that includes all those things. <laughs> what free web-based email service launched in 1996? And was purchased by Microsoft the following year for $400 million. Microsoft. Web-based email service. Hotmail? Yes. Mm, See? Be careful. (laughs) What 90s TV drama about five siblings? Do I need to say anything more? Is it Party of Five? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, do it. Like, do, do I need to tell you they inherited a restaurant? Or did you know that? I actually watched that show. I don't remember anything. Do it. I need to tell you that it launched the career of Matthew Fox? Or did you know that? I did know that. I did know and that. And also Jennifer Love Hewitt. Did you know that? Nev Campbell, too. Was it Nev Campbell in that? 
I think it was Matthew Fox and Jennifer Love Hewitt. No, Jennifer Love Hewitt, I'm pretty sure, was his girlfriend. Um, well, Nev Campbell might have already been someone then. It says it launched, oh, okay. it launched their career. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure Nev Campbell was um, the sister. Because it was Scott Wolf, Matthew Fox, Nev Campbell, Lacey Chabert. Is that how you Lacey Charbet. Yeah, Charbet. Charbet. Maybe Jennifer Love Hewitt was another sister, but I think she was... Um, she was a girlfriend. I think she was Scott Wolf's girlfriend. But anyway, yeah, I did. I did watch that show. Um, what was the name of the massive gathering of African Americans on the National Mall in D.C. in October 1995, organized by Louis Farrakhan? Million Man March. Yes. In 1991's Outlander. There can only be one. That's Highlander. By Diana (laughs) Gabaldon. Former combat nurse Claire Randall travels back to what year? 1643. 1743. Or 1843. You are looking like you don't know, and that's sad. 1843. Because it's a show that's like on TV now. So 91. You give me mine, and I'll tell you if you got it right. With the help of Mark Messier, what team defeated the Vancouver Canucks? Please in- don't, please don't call the Lord and Savior Mark Messier. It's Mark Messier. It's the New York Rangers. The year is nineteen ninety four. They won in Game Seven. I said his name right. You said Messier. Messier. Mark Messier. Come on. It's the same. I feel like you're saying it Come the on. same way both times. Come on. Messier? Mark Messier. That's right. Okay. I feel like I said it the same way both times, but... The New York Rangers. Number 11. Captain of my heart. It's tough. It's a tough beat. You know I won. 1743. Why? It's actually fucked up because that's actually a show on Stars right now. It's called Outlander. So it's like that book is a show that... So I knew that... Without looking at that, because I just saw an ad for it when we were watching Heels, I just saw an ad for Outlander, and they were clearly wearing, like, 1700s garb. I'm going to tell you something, and I really mean this. I don't know if I could tell the difference between 1700s garb and 1800s garb, like, on a like on a whim like that. Like, 1400s and 1800s, maybe, but I wouldn't, you know. Like, I feel like... It's all big dresses and lots of tan. I mean, like, I feel like it's hard for me to describe, but like, I just, I don't know, like, I'm just going to show you real quick and then, and then we'll go. But it's like, I feel like that garb tells me that, that, that's, this is fucking, this is, this is the 1700s. Right. Because you're like, like that's 1700s garb. That's not like 1800s garb. That's like 1700s garb. It's like revolutionary war garb. Okay. Like, 1600 garb is, like, pilgrim shit. I don't disagree with what you're saying to me. I don't disagree. I'm just saying I wouldn't know the difference. Not that... It's all... I don't know. Old American clothes. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know the difference. (laughs) With that, everyone, we'll leave you with it's all American clothes. I am Pat. It's all old American clothes. This is my co-host, Jen. We shot the shit with you here regarding (laughs) the movies of August 1993. We will be back next month on the movies episode to discuss True Romance, which Jen has not seen, and she attempted to summarize. Bronx Tale, which I have not seen, also attempted to summarize. Together, we will get educated on some of the most important movies in the 90s. I know Bronx Tale, people love that fucking movie. So, you know, it's a thing that I have to say. It's a blind spot. But I'll get there. Uh, we'll see how you feel with True Romance. I am... Um, I really... I haven't seen The Bronx Tale in a long time, but I really liked that movie when I was younger. So We're going to check them out. We hope you check them out. And we will see you next week when we get into our music from September of 93. Take us out, Jen. Bye. Bye. Bye.